This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome back to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host, Matt Addison, with Ian Doyle, Sean Bradbury and Theo Squires alongside me to look back at Sunday's 2 all draw with Manchester City and assess how things are shaping up in the Premier League title race so far. Firstly, though, Doyle, it was uh, a really good second half from Liverpool yesterday, maybe less so in the first. But what did we learn from the game overall, do you think? Um, I think Liverpool learned that if you just let Man City play, there's a very good chance they might play quite well against you. But Liverpool were absolutely atrocious in the first half between about the 16th minute to, you know, the 45th, 46th minute. And I think, you know, the players who come out afterwards said the same thing. Jurgen Klopp said the same thing. You know, Pep said the same thing as well. I think I think everybody who was there, anybody who's watching, just thought it. I mean, Liverpool were incredibly lucky to to have nil at half time, and also that Man City happened to have nil as well because I know they didn't create loads of chances, but there was obviously Allison made one good save from Fold, and he made another one where he came off his line. You know, good positioning, and I think it was was that De Bruyne put a header over. That was in the first half as well, wasn't it? So they were three, you know, certainly two good chances, but overall, yeah, Liverpool just were very, very, you know, they just kind of stood off them and they got the tactics all wrong. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp said, at, said after the game, he said at half-time, we've done everything that you're not supposed to do against Manchester City, which in a way does underline that, you know, that for Liverpool to then come back from that and produce the second half that they did, I'm sure we'll get on to the, the goals a, a little bit later on, was, you know, that shows they got the mental strength. And you also got to bear in mind that, what was it, seventh game in 22 days? I mean... I made a note of the fact that in just at the start of injury time, Fabinho and Henderson were both like on the knees. Like they were absolutely exhausted, and there were still another three or four minutes to get through. And City were, you know, forced a couple of corners in that time. So, you know, City did look the more likely in the injury time period to get that. I think if 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 Fabinho had scored that goal when Rodri makes the block, I think that would have been a bit cheeky for Liverpool to win that because I don't <laughs> think City deserved to get beat. Um, but overall, I think. Um, it was interesting. I have to say, this is going to sound really ridiculous. I really did not enjoy the game. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it because I just thought Liverpool didn't play well at all. And I thought, had Manchester City you know, won by two, possibly, you know, maybe two goals, there couldn't have been any arguments. And I think in the first half, they put out that kind of you know, message that some people, you know, even I've written, you know, they've not quite been at the best City, but, and they got, obviously got beat by PSG in midweek, but they won one at Chelsea, they looked very good at Liverpool. And in the piece that I wrote on the final whistle, how you view the game is very much how you view your glass. If it's, you know, if it's you know partially, is it, is it half empty or is it is it half full? If it's if it's half empty, you look at it and go, well, Liverpool were outplayed in the first half and were a little bit lucky to get away with a, a, a draw. If it's half full, you'd say City had only conceded one goal in the Premier League all season. They conceded two in about 20 minutes in the second half to Liverpool, who, but for that Rodri, you know, interception or tack, whatever you want to call it at the end, they could they could have got the win. So, you know, overall, I think Liverpool at half-time would have been incredibly happy for it to be finishing two all. I think when they went 1-0 and 2-1 ahead, there will, there will be that disappointment that they weren't able to, to hold on, especially when you consider that City now have arguably played their two hardest games this season, and they've They've taken four points. Liverpool have played Chelsea and City at home. And um, against Chelsea, you know, they played half a game against 10 men, didn't win. They, kept, they went ahead twice against City, didn't win that either. So we are very early days, but I'm not sure what, whether we learned anything new about either team. We just know that these two teams are going to be up there challenging for the title and I'd be surprised if they are the top two at the end of the season. 
Is it a point gained or two drop for you, Sean, do you think? I mean, I'm sure Mohamed Salah, when he puts Liverpool in front, would have wanted that to, to be the three points for, for Liverpool. But I suppose two all is, is never the worst result against Manchester City. No, I, I think you have to see it as a point gained, particularly as you guys have already spoken about in the context of that first half. I mean, that was truly quite atrocious, wasn't it? As, as Doyley said, I was just thinking at half time, thank God for Alisson, first of all. Thank God City didn't sign a striker in the summer because, you know, there was so many times where Foden or someone had the ball, they cut inside, they looked up and there just wasn't anyone in the middle. And if there had been, I think Liverpool would have been punished. And yeah, it was just great to see Klopp absolutely hailing himself down the tunnel and, and getting ready to sort things out in that 15 minutes. But in general, I think, yeah, you have to see that. If you look at it from that position and what Liverpool were able to do, the tweak they were able to make in the second half and the pressure they were able to put City under, you have to see it as a point gained. And that... That second half was just an absolute spectacle of football at the very, very highest level. I think that's the good thing about Liverpool and City's modern rivalry, if you like, over the last few seasons. Obviously, they've been the two teams to beat. You know, they've been the, they've been the, the only league winners over the last few seasons. City, look at them now. They're odds-on to win the league and favoured for the Champions League as well, probably, and Liverpool are giving them trouble. But not only have they, in general, been good teams and been teams who boxed the rest of the league around, the games between them have been so good, haven't they? You know, from the Liverpool perspective, you've got... The Champions League ties, the 4-3, the 3-1 at Anfield. And then from, from City side, you know, they, they've handed out a few big drubbins, haven't they? There's been a 5-0 and a 4-0. But then you get something like this. And I think as a half, it's it's certainly got claims to be the best sustained spell of just technical excellence in football between the two teams that we've seen. Yeah, just reflecting on, you know, positives and negatives of it, I suppose, to come back to your question. The, the worry I've got, looking at the last week in general, is that, you know, Liverpool have thrown four leads away, haven't they? If you look back to, to Brentford, you know, it, it ahead twice there and the same again against City. But I, I just think you only have to look at the managers after the game and the, the demeanour of both Klopp and Guardiola. They, they were almost just, I think there was a bit of relief there in, in both cases, but they were just kind of basking in the joy of, of what they'd just seen. And I think in both cases, like plans they managed to put in place, you know, Man City obviously... Of, of come from behind twice in, in that crazy second half and, and that's to their credit but I just think the way Liverpool were able to change it up in the second half it is excellent and Klopp can take a lot from that and they can really build on that because it's one of those times where I was just screaming for changes at half time I thought Firmino had to come on and the midfield really needed some help but Klopp this is why he is where he is and and why he is the man he is. He, he trusted the process, didn't he? And knew that the initial plan was right. It just wasn't being executed properly. And as Doyle said, that the post-match interview, we, we've got like a full transcript of it on the Echo website. And anyone who hasn't seen what he said to Sky, I, I just, I just, you know, implore you to go and have a full read of it. Because in, in the moment, for him to have that clarity and explain, you know, the tactics and the technical concepts of what they were trying to achieve and where they were going wrong, so well and so clearly, I just thought was was the measure of the man. So yeah, in in general, you know Liverpool have. I thought he said you know City and uh, Chelsea have obviously played hard games. I, I think you can make the case that Liverpool have played two of their hardest four games of the season now. Even though Chelsea and City were both at Anfield, and Liverpool will be annoyed that they didn't win at least one of them. I think Liverpool, City, and Chelsea look a cut above everyone else so far. You can obviously make the case that going to Old Trafford and going to Goodison will be difficult, but Liverpool have passed two staying tests there and obviously, you know, been pretty solid and have won most of the other games that they've had so far. So, yeah, I think that's um, just an absolutely unbelievable game to, to watch. Two great teams and point gains for me, just about. 
we'll come on to the the second half and I think it was 22 minute spell in which all all four of, of the goals were, were scored Theo but just to sort of finish off on that first half the, the fact that Liverpool even though they played poorly got themselves in at nil nil they managed to to dig out a, a bit of a, a result almost I know they, they get a, a little bit lucky in parts Allison pulls off a, a couple of good saves but now, even you look back to, to last season, if, if Liverpool had, had been playing that poorly, they just wouldn't have been able to, to get themselves in at half-time nil-nil. Is, is that a positive in itself, that even though they didn't play at their best, they were still able to keep Manchester City out? Uh, yes and no. It, I think, um, as I think it was Sean that said, it's more City not having the striker. If City had signed Harry Kane for £100 million, Liverpool were 2 or 3 nil down in that first half. They were atrocious. Every first touch was heavy. Every pass was misplaced. I don't think they had a shot on goal. Just because Phil Foden or Kevin De Bruyne have wasted a couple of chances, it is more them being wasteful than Liverpool getting away with it and being good defensively to get away with it. Another team would have punished them. On another day, they would have been punished. It's more, you can take it as a positive, as the fact that they've survived it. Because you look at the, the fixtures and I see it as you draw them with Chelsea when it's 10 men and you draw them with City. When it's at home, that is going to be costly in this title race, potentially. Uh, Chelsea, they were the real winners from the result yesterday. But what a week for City when you think they've got the, the four points from those two games. Like You look when Liverpool won the league. They did the double over Chelsea. They uh, only lost to City when the title was already won. They did the double over Spurs. They got four points off United. They did the double over Leicester. They were winning these hard games home and away, and they were making sure they didn't lose until it didn't actually matter. Now, these are the big opportunities in the title race to get those points, and they've dropped them here. And considering their mixed record at the Etihad, it's going to be costly there. They certainly can't play like that again when you're playing against these sides away from home, because then you think they would be punished. It's like maybe Anfield had a little bit of an impact there to make sure they did get it at nil-nil. But you just got to be so thankful that they could turn it around in that second half because it was like the horrible year uh, months of after Christmas, how bad they were, just everything going wrong, not creating anything offensively. Thinking, are they just not as good as we thought they were? But then they come back stronger and they offer that reminder. They still weren't at their best by any means, but when you got a player of Mohamed Salah's quality who can turn a game in an instant and score an amazing goal like he did or set up an amazing goal like he did out of nothing, then you've always got a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Mohamed Salah, crucial to that second half turnaround. Doidi, the goal, the assist, both remarkable. Is there an argument <clears throat> and a strong argument as well to suggest that he might be the best player in the world on current form? There's no arguments about it. He is. Simple as that. I mean, anybody who doesn't think that just, you know, go away, basically. <laughs> but in, in a bit of stronger terms <laughs> that we can't say on uh, on this kind of podcast. <laughs> um, yes. Can I, before I forget, what I will point out about City is that part of the reason they dominated so much in the first half is because they didn't have a striker. Grealish was dropping yeah. off onto Fabinho. And I don't necessarily think that just because they'd have bought Harry Kane for £100 million, they'd, they'd have scored two goals or three goals in the first half. They've had a better chance of scoring a goal, of course, because you've got Kane on the pitch. But they wouldn't have probably had quite as many chances or that, them kinds of chances because it would have been a slightly different game with Kane being or whoever as a striker being on the pitch. So... I think I just think interesting with City is that part of the reason they've become so defensively sound is because they haven't got a striker, which kind of stands to reason, really, when you think about it. So, but that's anyway, by the by. Uh, the Salah, yeah, the Salah thing was just, I mean, it was quite funny, actually. When he, when he, um, when he had that run for the second, with Liverpool's second goal, his goal, Theo was sat next to me and, uh, 
I'm not sure whether he heard me, but but like when he did the, the kind of turn, it was like, oh, you know, he's like, oh, what's going on here? He's like, then he could kind of like, oh, hang on, what's going on here? And when he scored, Andy Robertson did a an interview afterwards with it with Premier League Productions, and he kind of said the stadium was in shock. It was a little bit like his goal against Tottenham, which was at that end, wasn't it? Towards the end. Uh, funny, that was in a 2-2 draw as well, wasn't it? Yeah, when, when that was for 2-1. So, you know, I didn't really go on to that at the time, but... It, that it was that kind of goal, but I would, I would say it was better than that one purely because he's made you know a lot was made in the first half about well Cancelo played for City, but Salah made him look stupid twice first for the you know the little flick over him for the uh, the, the assist for the first the set the assist for the first goal and then obviously he's just skinned him for the for the second one then he's he's done Bernardo Silva left him on his backside and he's he's, he's it was Laporte wasn't it came up to him and went I don't know I'll put him on his right foot and then that didn't really work Diaz didn't get over quick enough and. Edison couldn't quite get to it because he hit it reasonably early. So I must admit, shrugs off season. Foden as well. Don't forget that one. Oh, sorry. Oh yeah, shrugs yeah, off Foden yeah. as well. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I was quite pleased to see Silver on his uh, on his on his <laughs> on his bum, as it were. Um, I mean, I do wonder whether or not you know inside he was actually applauding that goal because as we know he he doesn't tend to applaud anything that Liverpool do, especially when it's a guard of honour at the Etihad. So um, yeah, I think Salah. There's no argument. He's the best player in the world at the moment. Don't really want to go down the whole contract thing because we we all know what we think about that. Uh, it's, a, I mean, let's just say the worst case scenario is that he doesn't sign his contract. In which case, that's good in a way because it means we've got another two seasons of him. We've got this season and next season. So you know, if because he, he'll he'll want to stick around then. Well, if he doesn't sign his contract, he'll probably just want to see it out. Which means Liverpool are going to get another what was it twenty months of him. And if he's in this form for that for that amount of time, what is it? He's played nine games this season, scored nine goals. He's only not scored in. The Burnley game, in which he scored a goal, which was about that far offside as well. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're talking about players doing the things that I'm going to make. I'm going to mention them. You know, uh, the former Barcelona man Messi and the former Real Madrid man uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. What 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 they did for for years. But you know, Salah's been doing this for what was it fifth season now for Liverpool, and he got 31 last season. The way he's going, he's going to get nearer to 40, and I think. If he stays clear of injury, he probably will do simply because of the way that Liverpool, you know, overall are playing attack attack wise, because they've you know, while they're obviously the concerns over the defence, what is it, six goals in three games? Liverpool have scored ten in that time. And they just they just seem to have you know, towards the end of last season, they I wouldn't say they, they weren't struggling for goals at all, but they were certainly playing in a more considered fashion because they knew they had to get the wins. And obviously there was the two centre-backs or four centre-backs were missing at that time. I think they're playing with a bit more freedom at the moment. I think that's partly why they've been conceding the goals. I'm sure we'll get on to a bit about certain performances, which perhaps weren't up to you know normal level against Man City. Um, like the Brentford game in that respect. And you've also got to bear in mind that Liverpool didn't have Trent playing for them. On Sunday, and I think that's kind of been overlooked. He's been Liverpool's most creative player this season. Certainly, won't be you know, taking it forward in that in that position. And while Milner did okay against Crystal Palace, did well against Porto, he's come up against Foden. And if you've got a City team that Liverpool are just allowing them to come at them in that first half, where they just did you know totally the wrong tactics, it was, it was going to be a nightmare for for Milner. And that he got through and uh, managed not to get sent off. Not sure how. Um, <laughs> Not sure how he did that. Um, how he, you know, I think that that is a bonus. But Liverpool also didn't have Thiago, and he's somebody who's you know, ready-made for a game like that. I thought Curtis Jones did certainly second half. He was the better of the midfielders. Uh, you know, Fabinho and Henderson were way off it for me for the most part. But Jones actually stepped up in the second half, and he kind of has proven that he can be trusted in games like this now. 
Uh, I think he did. did he, play, he played in the four-one, didn't he? He did, and he was one of the better. He was one of the better players, wasn't he, on the day? So I don't think there should be any doubts about that now. But I do think Thiago, had he been available, Alexander Arnold, it would have made a bit of a difference. City could put to to Gundogan, wasn't there? And he scored two at Anfield last time, and I think he'd have been, you know, he, he was kind of tailor-made for the formation they were playing as well. He, he could have could have prospered and caused caused some issues. But overall, going back to Mohamed Salah. Yeah, I mean, name me a player who's better than him, and I'm pretty sure the uh, U3 are not going to be able to do that. No, certainly not on <laughs> current form. Uh, we won't go too far down the, the contract route, Sean, but it is another reminder of, of how good he is. And I think it's it's another reminder of him being at his peak as well. We, we speak a lot, obviously, about the 44-goal the season that he had when he first came in. But for me, he's a, a far, far better, far more all-round player now than what he was then, even if he might not end up with 44 this season. Oh, undoubtedly, and you only have to look at the evidence in that game there yesterday. The Robertson interview that Doyle um, referenced before, I thought was really interesting because, as well, he said that this, you know, he referenced the fact that there is still this perception that Salah's underrated. And, you know, he said it's a shame that his, his goal wasn't a winning goal. But I just think anyone who has that mindset now who doesn't see what Liverpool fans say about Mohamed Salah, Salah is, is kidding themselves, really. You know, he's. He's one of the best in the world. He's certainly one of the best the Premier League has ever seen. And just, just look at this game. And to be honest, the more that I've watched it back, obviously his goal, as, as the lads have already discussed, was just absolutely incredible. I mean, it was sublime, wasn't it? It was perfect touch after perfect touch. Excellent finish with his weak foot. But at the, more, the more I look, I, I'm actually as impressed, if not more impressed, by what he did for the for the Mane goal. And, you know, just dropping back, skipping away, bursting forward and playing the, the perfect ball. I think that's the thing if, you know, if there is something that gets missed about Salah, you, 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 you almost can't miss his goals, can you? And you look at his numbers and they speak for themselves. But his vision and his passing ability is, is second to none. You know, he, he might be the best on the ball in, in the entire Liverpool team, I'd argue. And, you know, maybe you could say Thiago and others have similar skill sets to him and, and, and can do what he does to an extent. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just delighted that on the biggest stage against the only other team, I'd say, who has claims to be the best in the league. You know, maybe Chelsea might start entering that argument. He displayed both sides of his game and the fact that he set up Mane as well was great. You know, it's one of those for for those people who try and insist that Salah's greedy or that those two have problems that spill onto the pitch. You know, there was a great moment between them actually after the goal where they kind of, you know, embraced uh, in a fairly fairly kind of passionate manner and then, you know, cracked on with trying to, trying to get Liverpool over the line in the game. But yeah, to go back to the contract, that I just think we've got to the stage now. Maybe... Maybe this has been a very canny masterstroke by Liverpool to um, delay things until such time as Salah makes the complete argument that he is an exceptional case. And like, I don't know, I, if I was them, I'd be sitting sitting the rest of the squad down and just showing them clips of Salah and saying, I'm sorry, lads, but this is why he's getting an extra 100 grand and why we're going to pay him a bit more than you. Because, he, you know, obviously you, you do back the, the general idea of having wage structures that are unbreakable for squad harmony and, and all those types of purposes. And that's the FSG way. It's It's got Liverpool to where they are right now. But I, I think the, the, it's almost it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because Liverpool have reached the, a point and Theo's written a very good piece on this today. Again, another, another little plug for me, which I'd implore people to go and read. But FSG, the, the team that's been built under Klopp has kind of outgrown the initial phase of how FSG built the club up. And now they've got these type of decisions where you've got to do things that you wouldn't have done two or three seasons ago. But I just think giving Mohamed Salah more money to keep him and crucially to stop another club 
and I wouldn't say go to another Premier League side, but obviously go to a European team who you would consider to be one of Liverpool's rivals for Champions League honours. You know, it, it, it's it's at the point now where not keeping him, not keeping him would clearly be to the detriment of Liverpool as a team, but you would be strengthening someone else and giving them, you know, the, the final stretch of Mohamed Salah's career. And as the guys have already said, you know, or maybe you said, Matt, it, it, he's still at his peak and there's absolutely no doubt about that. And, and I think he will be for several years. You only have to look at any photo of him where he, uh, he whips his top off in celebration and he's got muscles that other people don't have and everything about him, his whole lifestyle, his attitude to the game. You, you know you know he's going to be an excellent player well into his 30s. So, yeah, I, I just think Liverpool have absolutely got to find a way of getting it done as soon as possible before his demands and um, the ability to, to ask for more money you know, just keeps on rising, really. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it's certainly got to be cheaper to extend with Salah than try and find a replacement, I'm pretty sure, of that. But there was a few other decent performers, particularly second You're not letting me ever go on Salah as well? That's not fair, is it? <laughs> go on, then. Go ahead. You've written the piece, Theo. You've written the piece. Yeah, exactly. Floor is yours. Mohamed Salah, Theo. I will put my neck on the line. If Liverpool hadn't been rubbish last year, he would win the Ballon d'Or this year. Uh, if Liverpool or no, if the African Cup of Nations had happened this year and Egypt got to the final, he would win the Ballon d'Or this year. If he wins the Africa Cup of Nations next in January and Liverpool actually do turn up and challenge for the title or the Champions League, he's got a very good chance of winning the Ballon d'Or next year. We're talking about rival fans feeling that he's a bit underrated or we're thinking they don't rate him as much as he do. He should. Perhaps Liverpool fans do a little bit as well, and not because they don't appreciate how good he is, but it's only now, after that game against City, when you're thinking, hang on, this is better than what we've seen from a Luis Suarez, from a Fernando Torres, from a Steven Gerrard. They got the hype, they got the recognition because they were elite players when they were lesser teammates. But we've seen Salah is in this great Liverpool team, win Premier League, win the Champions League, and they've all played their part. That's why they've all got the big wage uh, rises and everything. And then he's just reached this new level completely. And it's like, wow, this this could be a player. If he does sign a new contract and he's there for a good few years, you're talking about one of, he's in that equation with Gerard and Dalglish as Liverpool's greatest ever player. He is just rewriting the narrative. And what is it they say when you're talking about this? Uh, get the contract out, put it on the table, let him sign it, let him write whatever numbers he wants on it <laughs> for what he's done since he's come in. He's doing his thing. Liverpool are back. Sign the contract, get it done. When did they say that? When did they say that? They'll be saying it inside, won't they? FSG is <laughs> over in the States. They'll be rubbing their hands, going, get the contract out, put it down in front of him. Because if they don't get this done soon, it's going to cost them a hell of a lot more to keep him because that wage demand can keep going up and up. And as the market stabilizes more, like how much is Kylian Mbappe going to be demanding when he goes to Real Madrid next year? How much are any of these elite players going to be asking for? Because I think he's, what, 17th best paid player in the Premier League at the moment on 200,000, if you believe the reported figures. There are a lot of lesser players on a lot more money than him. So it's one of those where they need to get it done because it is going to cost them a hell of a lot more if they don't. Cool. Theo, are we okay to move on from Mohamed Salah? <laughs> should we just do a Mohamed Salah podcast? We don't really need to talk to anything else. It's just going to be what James Milner should have been sent off. And what does it mean for the title race? 
So I'll leave it back in your hands, Matt. What, what's next? Excellent stuff. Well, we will move on very shortly to talk <laughs> about the title race very uh, in detail in terms of the other teams who are involved in it as well. But just one more thing that I wanted to, to touch on with Manchester City, Dolin. I think you touched on it a little bit before in terms of the composition of that midfield. I thought Fabinho in the first half looked very exposed. But as you mentioned at halftime, Jurgen Klopp makes a couple of changes. Jordan Henderson and Curtis Jones come back into it in the second half. Was that a case of, of Jurgen Klopp getting it wrong in the first half and, and changing it and getting it right? Or does that midfield trio maybe not quite work against a team like Manchester City? I think it's more a case of Klopp probably went up to those, certainly two of them, and went, any chance? Are you bothering? Are you going to turn up today? You know, But with a few more probably swear words and a bit more vociferous. I mean, I don't, I, I don't actually know. I know for a fact that Klopp isn't one to get too angry, but if there was ever going to be a day he was ever going to have a bit of a stern word with some of his players. It was going to be yesterday. So in that respect, but I mean, the likes of Fabinho, certainly Henderson knows they can do a lot better than that first half. I mean, Henderson just even, he kept going, didn't he? But it just wasn't one of his best, better games. I know on, on social media, the uh, certain sections of Liverpool sports took great delight. It's been a long time since they've been able to have a go at him. So they were quite looking forward to that. And there was a fair bit of that, but you know, Fabinho was, wasn't massively a, a massive amount better. I just wonder whether they're a bit tired. It was three games in eight days. I know you might say Brentford and Porto wasn't particularly taxing games, but there were still games, especially when you consider who City played in their two, their two games over the same period. But I think City made a few more changes. Liverpool did not. Uh, they wanted a little bit of continuity. And OK, as, as we said before, no Thiago. Cater coming back from injury. Oxlade chamberlain clearly not up to speed. Harvey Elliott out. And suddenly, like, well, hang on, there aren't many other midfielders left that he wants to... If he needed to, he could obviously played. Three, two, at least two more of them. But he felt this was the clock thought this was the best way to go forward. He said, he said after the game, didn't he? We didn't make any drastic changes. We just remind, basically, it was quite a clever way he said it, wasn't it? We just reminded them of the way that we wanted them to play in the first half. In other words, he just did completely not what we just ignored us completely what we wanted to want you to do. So there was a bit of that. I think um, Liverpool weren't brave enough in the first half, were they? We've seen they, they seemed reluctant to play through Man City's press, which is why you had the sight of Matip, who was probably one of Liverpool's, certainly Liverpool's, one of Liverpool's best players in the first half, and overall, actually. He was stepping out, and it was, he, was, he was given time to just go through, because City strangely thought that he'd be no threat, and we've seen already this season that actually, yeah, he is. So, but that was the only way Liverpool were getting through the first half. I think he did one in the second half quite early on, didn't he? Did he pass it to Jota for the chance? I think he may have done, I think. And that so, was, yeah. Yeah, and that was like Liverpool's, that kind of got Liverpool going, didn't it? The start of the second mm -hmm. half. So in terms of the midfield, I think you'd have to argue that it wasn't the right one against City. But then you could also argue, well, what else would Klopp have done? He would have possibly played Cater instead of Jones, but then that would have been incredibly hard on Jones, who ended up being the best player for, for sitting in the midfield for Liverpool. And you had um, that situation whereby Fabinho was tired, his replacement would be Henderson. But Henderson is actually also playing, and he's tired. So there wasn't a lot that could be done there. And the other, and of course, the other one they could have thrown on was Milner, but he was playing right back, and uh, he having a tough time himself. So again, that's where you know once you get the one or two injuries, or in Liverpool's case, I think it was three, wasn't it? Once you get those injuries, then it does have a knock-on effect. And it's, it's the same for all the clubs. I mean, City, as I said before, were missing some players. They got on with it. They probably didn't play at hundred percent their level in the second half. Liverpool got a bit nearer to to City. And that's why the game ended up the way that it did. I wouldn't be too worried about Liverpool's composition in the midfield 
looking further forward because it's not as you know not going up against a team like City every week. And I think Liverpool have already shown this season. What, well, actually, 19 games unbeaten. I mean, what more? It's half a season, isn't it? Well, certainly league games. I mean, what what more do fans want? Yeah, absolutely. Let's have a look then at the title race and, and how things are shaping up. I thought, Sean, that Manchester City were really, really excellent at, at times yesterday. Really good against Chelsea the week before. But them, Chelsea and Liverpool, I think it's only a point separating each of those three teams. Will Liverpool be happy, do you think, with what they've done so far this season? Are they in a decent position and probably the position that you might have expected them to be in at this point? Oh, absolutely. I think they'll be happy. I mean, you know, I think Dory's just referenced it, but that unbeaten run stretches well back into last season now, doesn't it? You know, that incredible fairy tale end to last season, if you like, that shot Liverpool up into the Champions League places, the eight wins and two draws. I think they've, they've built on that very, very successfully this season. There was a stat knocking around last night. Actually, I think they're, if you look at equivalent results last season, Liverpool are seven points better off already in terms of the teams they played. You know, if you look at, um, Burnley, obviously, was a win. We know what happened there last season. It absolutely wasn't a win. Leeds was a draw, wasn't it, last season? They won that game. Here's a point against City. There's another one that's chalked up. That was obviously a defeat last season. So, yeah, I I, I think Liverpool have to be happy. You know, going into the, into this international break, you would have loved the win against City for extra momentum and to really send them directly a message in the title race. But, like I said before, I honestly think that the four hardest games this season will be the, the two against Chelsea and the two against City. Liverpool have got two of those out the way, as well as a couple of other tricky ties. I think, you know, going to Brentford's not going to be an easy one for a lot of teams this season. They, they look like a team who aren't going to absolutely fade away. Like, a, you know, you sometimes see an initial burst from newly promoted teams and then they drop off, don't they, as you get to winter and beyond. You know, perhaps that'll happen a little bit. But look what they've just done this weekend against West Ham. You know, they, they look a decent outfit. So I, I think Liverpool will be happy with that. I think as well, every club you look at, um, who were involved in, in the early phases of the title race, if you like, have got their issues. You know, with Liverpool, it's depth. I think, as we just talked about, Dodi reference missing Trent. You know, that, that shot in the first half where it cut to Thiago and Trent on the bench, watching from the, well, they were watching from the stands, weren't they? As Liverpool were probably at their like, lowest ebb in, in the first half. You just thought, oh, you know, what they do for one, if not both of those on the pitch right now. But they found a way and... I think Milner, as Doyle said, from despite the fact that he was targeted by City, he did well enough. He he will do well enough in other games as well. When you're not against six midfielders who are taking it in turns to rotate and, and target, yeah, you know, so depth is, is is a Liverpool issue, but they're coping very well with it so far. But it, look at City, you know, the, the the fact that they're they're taking this kind of tactical gamble that partly does stem from the fact that they didn't sign a striker of playing 15 midfielders a game or whatever it is. You know, you're going to get games, aren't you? Like the the nil-nil against Southampton, where the result is there's a lot of pretty stuff, a lot of nice build-up and a lot of passing, but that incisive cutting edge that you need to put teams to the sword isn't there. I think Chelsea as well, OK, it, it, it's good this weekend that from their perspective that, that Werner got on the score sheet, but I still think there's, there's a little bit of concern for them. You know, if Lukaku's goals dry up at any point or, you know, if he was to be on the sidelines... That would be a worry. You know, they, they play, usually play three centre-halves, don't they? And I think they, they haven't really got more than four, you'd say, in the squad who, who are excellent. You can maybe make the same case for their midfield. You know, that they, they, they need a lot of midfielders. They get through a lot of work in the central areas, but have they got more than, than three or maybe four who are really elite? So, you know, I, I think that as much as I think, you know, you probably will take 90 points to, to claim the, the league this season, um, maybe slightly less than that, given given the start that the teams have had. There's cracks in every team, uh, but Liverpool, 
like like we've talked about with the with the bra- the bravery they displayed against City, I think that that speaks volumes. You know, the fact that Henderson was that little bit higher up the pitch that that cost him and cost Liverpool at times, especially in the first half. But that's that's the marker, isn't it? You know, that Harvey Elliott went out the team and he, and he was doing well in that role, but it's almost as if Liverpool have decided to stick to it and keep Henderson pushing on um, and 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 try and blow teams away like they have been doing and keep that going against Man City. So I think that spoke volumes and the fact that they were able to do that in the second half. So yeah, I, overall, it, it, it's shaping up to be an absolutely excellent title race, but there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, if Liverpool have reasonable luck with injuries from here on in, they, they will be in the mix right through to May. Yeah, Liverpool, City and, and Chelsea looking very good early on. Theo, what have you made of, of Manchester United? Is it a three-way title battle or is it a four-way? Uh can I answer this one after Liverpool play United at Old Trafford? Then we'll really know, <laughs> won't we? It's, um, it depends what happens with United because I think we could all say if they carry on like they are, Solskjaer could very well be out of a job within two months. And then if, depending on who they get in, that could be a nice little springboard for them to finish strong. Because you think only last year, the lead at the top of the table was changing every week. It was only when we got to the second half of the season, when you got Christmas and New Year out the way, that City took hold of it and just didn't let it go. And I think that was the same when they finished a point above Liverpool. Like they're exchanging it up until January, February time, and then neither team lost, but City it were the ones ahead. So it's too early to write United off for now. But you would say at the moment it looks like a, a three-horse race, just because United probably have a few more holes in their side, and they were very much relying on Cristiano Ronaldo to be the difference for them. But that's still a 36-year-old player who wasn't the difference for Juventus last year when they nearly missed out on qualifying for the Champions League, having been signed to win in the Champions League, which he didn't do either. He'll score them goals, but it wasn't necessarily a big enough signing to go and win them a Premier League title. But the same way as, say, if Lukaku goes and gets you 25, 30 goals, Chelsea are going to be right up at the top. And it was if they hadn't lost to um, City, you'd be saying now it's their league, but it's so close between those big three. Um, at the moment, I'm kind of leaning towards City because you think if it's going to be decided by the results between the big three, they've been to Anfield, they've been to Stamford Bridge, they've got four points. That, that is what you need. That could be huge for them. It's going to take a massive performance from a Liverpool or a Chelsea to go to the Etihad and take it off them and wrestle back control. But then we've seen uh, City drop points in silly games. We've seen Chelsea can do it at times as well. Liverpool drew Brentford when that could have been a win it's just too close to call at the moment you need to make sure you're grabbing these opportunities and I suppose all of them have done for the majority with the odd drop point here and there um you're just waiting for these next top of the table clashes and that's when you can really assess it again and I think Liverpool's next one is what United Old Trafford away or if um Liverpool can win that one you would be very comfortable saying United aren't in this title race I think I'm right in saying that City go to United in the next few weeks as well. So a couple of those big games to come. Only just to, to finish, is that going to be the difference, do you think, at the top end of, of the title race this season? Is it going to come down to the head-to-heads between all of the possible four, if not three, title contenders? Well, it usually does. I mean, we've only played seven games, so I don't think we should be making any kind of massive predictions. The thing is, at this stage of the season, you can't win the league, but you can lose it. And I'm pretty sure Chelsea, United, Liverpool and City will all be going well. You know, we're right there. We're all within like two points of each other. You know, so, yeah, United United haven't played anyone yet, have they? Or have I missed somebody? 
I'm not disrespecting Everton, though. I don't think we we regard Everton as being title challengers, at least not this year. Um, so I don't think they have played anyone of note, have they? They, played, they, haven't, they haven't played Tottenham either, have they? Or Arsenal? Even, you know, the, the old, you know, the old top you six. So I'll have a look. I think United's <laughs> next two months, they've got quite a lot of difficult games. And then with Theo in the sense that if they keep all the Solskjaer, they've got no chance of winning the league. But if they get rid of him and bring in somebody good, that's terrible, isn't it? But he's bringing somebody who's, a, who's got a bit of a track record as a winning stuff as a manager and a, that they've got enough players there. Like, they always have enough players there. United, for the amount of money they spend on the team, they should always be up there. So that's so why it's been a bit of a surprise over the last couple of years that they, that they really they haven't. I mean, what was it Mourinho said when they finished second in 2018 to City? He said, this is one of the best things I've ever done in my managerial career. And everyone went, what are you talking about? And then you saw what United have been like since then. It's like, OK, maybe you, you do have a point there. Um I think United had their chance last year, didn't they? They had the chance last year. I've said this so many times on this podcast. That was their chance to win the league. Everything was set up for them and they blew it. City ended up, they let City just walk away with it in the end. So I think that's gone for them. Um, yeah, it is probably going to be between Chelsea, Liverpool and, and City. But in terms of your question, I think it's not just the games between those. I think it's the games between the traditional top six. And, you know, you can count Everton and Leicester in there as well. They are the games that you need to be winning and whoever wins the most ones of them is, pro- is probably going to win the league. Taking out the uh, Champions League fixtures, United is Leicester away, Liverpool home, Spurs away, City home, Watford away, Chelsea away, Arsenal home. That's until the go. end of six, November. Six, so, of seven. Um, six of seven. Yeah. I think I said at the start of the season, Chelsea had a tough start and if they were top going into the October international break, fair play to them, they're contenders. You're saying if United after that are still in title race, fair play to them, they are contenders. But <laughs> looking on paper, you'd be thinking you can write them off. What on they've been doing current form against the, the lesser teams so far. Yeah, and no better way to end the podcast than writing Manchester United's <laughs> title contention out of the picture. But anyway, that will just about do us for today, I think. Thank you very much for watching and for listening from myself, Matt Addison, Sean Bradbury, Ian Doyle and Theo Squires. It's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.